Hello again, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a new interview with one of the film industry's top directors conducted by one of their peers. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Tom Hooper's film, The Danish Girl. Based on the novel of the same name, Mr. Hooper's film portrays the lives of Lily Elve and Gerda Wegner, two Danish artists in the 1920s whose lives are changed after Gerda depicts her husband, then known as Einar Wegner, as a woman in a series of paintings. Their involvement with the series inspires Lily to embark on a groundbreaking and emotional journey as a transgender pioneer. The Danish Girl was recognized this past weekend at the 88th Annual Academy Awards when actress Alicia Vikander won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for her role as Gerda. Following the Los Angeles membership screening of the film in November, Mr. Hooper spoke with director and DGA past president Michael Apted about the challenges he faced while making The Danish Girl. Listen on for highlights from their conversation, recorded at the DGA Theater. Enjoy! Thank you. Well, sir, I think I think you nailed it, didn't you? <laughs> Thank you. I mean, you know, it's it looks like a, a big movie. Uh, you know, the issues you deal with, the emotional, the psychological, the sense of scale, the sense of period, and all this must have cost a fortune, didn't it? Um, it was actually the same budget as the King's Speech, so just under fifteen million dollars. Um, what? Uh, but but for that we had to, we shot in five countries, so it was actually quite. Well, how did how did you pull it off? Um, I mean, it was a it was it was a tight schedule. It was forty four days, but what was difficult was it was one hundred and eighty six scenes in forty four days. So if you do the maths, that's four scenes a day, and in the UK you don't really ever get to do overtime. Um, and not, not not just people just don't won't, don't really do it. It's a slightly different culture, so it's you know it's a strict eleven-hour day. Um, so it, part, partly it was you know I'm a great believer in rehearsal, so we rehearsed for three weeks um, with the actors, and we went we went we rehearsed the film chronologically, so that when we had to go out of sequence, they kind of knew where they were. Um, but also, it's, you know, I had a, had a really great team. I've got a, a, a great first, Ben Howarth, who also did um, Les Mis with me, uh, who was also the co-producer, and and he's the kind of guy who when you th- the harder the challenge you throw him the more his eyes light up and if you throw an even harder challenge he's on the tip of his toes and that's the kind of first you want <laughs> you going into this situation I mean do you shoot quickly you must do um yeah I mean it was never it was rarely more than five takes of of, of any setup and we um, and we shot with um uh, uh two cameras um most of the time but it was um but you know there's some there's something this, I mean, there's something quite good about about shooting at, at pace because um, you know you never kind of end up you never give in to your, the neurotic side of your brain and, and if you have to keep right. going fast you have to keep working from instinct and, and not overanalyze things and I, and I think we all have well I don't know I speak maybe I, I don't speak for everyone but I think all directors have the capacity to to become neurotic if given too much time so <laughs> as long as it's quite healthy to move fast. You, you say you rehearse. How do you like to rehearse? Do you 
talk a lot or do you move it around? Um, I mean, I, I mean, on this actually, the preparation started about a year out. Uh, Ed, Eddie Redmayne started his preparation about a year out, and uh, we did our first screen test seven months out. Um, uh, so, uh, and then another another three months out. So, so you know, a lot of it was about just. Pre you know, preparing it. But in rehearsals, I like to do it in the old school way of, you know, marking all the sets out on the floor in full scale, having the art department come up with a rather, rather dodgy set of props to, <laughs> to represent the, the, the various sets. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, and, and do proper blocking rehearsals where, where, we, where we move it around. And do you find that the <clears throat> different actors like to rehearse in different ways? And if that's true, how do you kind of keep them all happy? Um, yeah, I certainly feel, um, you know, rehearsals can depend on the person and also the person's attitude to what they're doing. I, I remember, um, I remember meeting Helen Mirren for the first time to direct her in Prime Suspect uh, when I was quite a kid director, and uh, and you know we sat down, we had lunch, and we and I gave her this whole spiel about how passionately I believe in rehearsals and how central it is, and she looked at me and said, "I don't rehearse." <laughs> And then I was already stuck because I'd already said we're going to do a week's rehearsal, and 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 uh, um, uh, and then when I worked with her again on Elizabeth the first, she was like, "Now we must do lots of rehearsal on this because it's very important." So, so I, I you know, I, I, I think I think actors can open their minds up to it. And how um, much? But but I, but I think actually, interesting. Just to go to a question. I think part I think part of the fear of rehearsal sometimes is that an actor worries that they're going to produce something in rehearsal that they'll never. Recapture. Uh, I, I, I remember, I remember one actor who I won't name, who's quite you know famous English actor, saying he, 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 he the, his fear in rehearsals is that he would do something which he could never recapture, and that would haunt him. Um, but but the interesting thing about, for example, Alicia Vikander is that she she's she's a trained ballet dancer, so right. she's got that. Um, you know, as a ballet dancer, you're not afraid of repetition because excellent. You know, the perfection only comes from repetition. There's no way as a dancer you're going to get anywhere good without repetition. And and so she 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 had an extraordinary facility to 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 not feel that uh, the brilliant moment was vulnerable to repetition. And in fact, it could come out of it. But were you on your guard in case you thought you were pushing it too much, or they were not going to discover anything that you were grinding it down a bit? Um, I think I think the I think the the interesting thing is the moment you actually put a camera on the actors, it changes again. You know, so so that when you're watching it to your eye in the space, a bit like a theatre play, it feels like one thing, and then when you put a camera on it, it changes the energy. So so uh, I feel like you've still protected the moment because the moment only really happens when you put a camera on someone. When did you start putting the cast together? Um, well, I well I fell in love with the script uh, in late. 2008 when I was very early preparation of um, the King's speech and um, uh, it, all, it all came about because I was on my phone to my my casting director Nina Gold who, who's cast pretty much everything I've done since I was 21 she's just cast the Star Wars movie she, I mean, we she's love amazing. her don't we uh, yeah she's fantastic yeah. And, 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 and I was doing you know a thing that director, you know, directors will relate to which is complaining to close friends about the lack of great scripts and um and she said well <laughs> i know of one great unmade script it's called the danish girl and I, and I read it and uh and and was incredibly moved by it and, and fell in love with it and and sort of uh, you know hoped to one day get to make it but in but in that first reading i i, I actually had i imagined eddie um in that in the role you know how sometimes you, you read a script and you picture an actor just to help just to help your sort of imagination flesh out a story and um 
we'd worked, Eddie and I had worked together on Elizabeth I with Helen Mirren and uh, he uh, and he was like 22 years old and he played a young rebel who, who tries to overthrow Queen Elizabeth I, Queen Helen Mirren. It didn't go well for him. <laughs> He's sentenced to death. Um, and... Uh, and and but there, I remember shooting a scene where he where he where Eddie had the death sentence and 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 it was extraordinary. It was it was like watching someone being sentenced to death, watching a young man face the results of his imp impetuosity and 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 you know he was quaking like a leaf. The emotion was extraordinary, and and you know it, it was he wasn't like an actor pretending to, to face death. He it was and and I remember you know thinking most English actors are in some kind of dialogue with their own reserve. Um, you could say some of them are even you know emotionally repressed. Um, <laughs> not yourself. like not like English <clears throat> directors, obviously like me and Michael, who have a very fluent contact with our emotional life. Um, uh, but yeah, so so he Eddie stood out in this English tradition as being incredibly emotionally raw, and uh, and then I did Les Mis with him when his empty chairs, empty tables again had that incredible kind of emotional translucency, and I think that's why, what would, what drew me to Eddie was this idea that he perhaps had the gift to bring us with Lily step by step, beat by beat, so that we we would we would have an empathic connection. And 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 I think what he does is he makes Lily's emergence feel inevitable or necessary. And it's because you're always with him. He, and I didn't want Lily to be othered or to be made strange by an actor. And I think Eddie has that kind of compassionate gift. Um, and then and then Alicia Vikanda, um, I'd sort of seen her in. Anna Karenina, and I'd seen her in The Royal Affair, and I got a very early look at Ex Machina, which is a fantastic film. I think she's brilliant in it. And um, and she auditioned. Uh, and um, we did the scene, the memorably titled Scene 56, um, <laughs> which is when uh, which is when Gerda confronts Einar the, the morning after the ball where, where, where Liddy kisses Henrik. And, and 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 she was so moving in in the first take that I actually got tearful. And Eddie Redmayne turned to me and said, "Well, there's not a lot of uh, suspense about who you're going to cast, is there, Hooper?" <laughs> and I was like, "No, I mean, I'm completely objective. Let's go again. Um, I don't actually have any obvious notes, but let's go again right. anyway." Um, so it was kind of a, it was over when it right at the beginning. But you were presumably surprised by how good she was at the. Yeah, I mean, she has incredible heart and and. Um, uh, sort of compassion and, and kindness in her, and, and 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 to me, the film at its centre is an exa examination of a very kind of profound, unconditional love, where uh, where where the, where you know Gerda always puts Lily first, and it's very selfless. And there, there, there was a scene, and you know, and there's a scene. I mean, the script kind of guided both of us in this, and there was there's a scene when Gerda comes home and finds Lily. Um, at the at the kitchen table, dressed as Lily, and it completely shocks Gerda because it's early on in the movie, and she's not, you know, they've they've agreed that Lily should never come back, and and even Alicia, you know, said, yeah, and the first line in the script is, "How are you?" in that scene, and even Alicia said, "That's that that can't work." I mean, I would be furious, I'd be betrayed, I'd be shocked, I'd be confronted, I, I'd have all these emotions, and and Lucinda's saying that I would say, "How are you?" and 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 I said, "Well, let's imagine." You know the writer's right uh, for a moment, and um, and um, for once, yeah. And 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 what we realised is that is that Gerda is such. You know, Gerda just had a, a sort of compassionate genius beyond all of us. And 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 for her, she walks in and she doesn't see her husband dressed up. She just sees her husband, her partner in pain, 
and all she cares about is why Lily as Einar is in pain and and that's why she says how are you so so and where I think Alicia was was brilliant was in was was in sort of pushing herself to to kind of enlarge her already big heart to 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 bring out this sort of love story at the center just to go back to Eddie was any period of time when he was frightened of what he had taken on every period of time so how did you nurse him through it um I mean Eddie's also you know Eddie's sort of conscientious almost to it almost to a self-sabotaging degree in that in that in that he you know he he cared so much you know not only about doing a good job but but he he, he went out into the community and met trans women and trans men and heard their stories and began to realize how you know that he quickly realized how important the, the, the story might be for that community and um but but i think it's great you know so he lives he, he lives very close to this anxiety but i think his great gift as an actor is you know at the moment the camera rolls he's free you know despite all the preparation despite the fact that he'd read you know Every book he'd been given, he'd read books of academic gender theory. He'd, you know, he—I he, mean, he—he he was so well researched. But in the but in the moment of acting, he's free, and and he's and he's not, his his acting is not determined by his anxiety. And I and I often think that the the difference between the you know the really great actors and the less great is that the really great actors, are, their, their their anxiety doesn't just you know get in the way in the moment and it never gets in the way i mean like it's a hundred percent never gets in the way um and uh and you know i could say to eddie i could come in and give him a note to completely kind of invert a choice he'd made and he and the next take he can run that through and thread it through and 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 give you a coherent version of it and it doesn't throw him so so he, he's incredibly gifted in that way and what were the best notes you could give him um i remember one I mean, the, 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 in the scene, you, you, when when he goes, when Lily goes back to the operation for the second time, and he, and he, and she's chatting with Warner Cross in the hospital, and we were doing the, and, and Eddie was playing it quite sort of flippantly when she says, you know, I'd like a husband that looks like you, I'd like a child one day, and 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 I sort of, and I think, and I think Eddie Eddie had this concern that we wouldn't we wouldn't see enough of Lily's joy before she died and 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 so was trying to capture that in that moment and i saw and, and i and i said just for the last take fil filter filter your fear of filter your fear of death or the risk of what you're going th through that and 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 ground it in the risk and and she and, and Lily, eddie gave a completely different performance and that ended up being in the film but 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 also that there, there, there was one pickup we did in that scene, um, not at the time we shot the scene, which is you know, the moment when Liddy breaks down at the end and um, and weeps. Um, my, my, I've got a brilliant editor, Melanie Oliver, who's now this is the sixth uh, film she's cut for me. She did the, she did the whole of John Adams, all nine hours of it, single-handed, <laughs> which is extraordinary, um, with two young kids. Uh, and um, uh, and 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 she 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 said to me, I'm I'm, I'm still I'm still worried that we're we're seeing. Lily's bravery and her, you know, her front-footedness, but we're not seeing what lies behind the effort that lies behind it. And um, um, and I, you know, and so we decided to to shoot a continuation of that scene where 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 we see what lay behind it. So, which in a way came out of that early note I gave to Eddie, which was the anxiety that we we couldn't see the cost uh, of the risk. I mean, his performance is so carefully figured out. I mean, every breath he takes in a scene. Did you have to monitor that, or was he completely in charge of that? Um, I think the thing that I talked about a lot was 
that I that I didn't want it to feel like you know a man was transforming into a woman that something you know something that, that, that I was more interested in the idea that the woman was always present and had been completely suppressed and he had to put on this sort of this armor of masculinity for years and and the, the contact with the dress and the stockings awakens this this person underneath and so to, for me it was about kind of revealing rather than transforming and so, so some of the detailed work was was about was about you know trying to trying to get a feeling like he was actually relaxing into something rather than stretching off something but but at the same time there was another theme that we were exploring which uh, from our meetings with trans women they, they they talked about this really interesting idea that you can go through a period in transition of hyperfeminization where in order to reconnect with your femininity you you kind of overreach and you become you know highly you know almost too feminine feminine or slightly affected and your 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 clothes become very very feminine and it's a bit like a kind of going through adolescence as a girl where you're trying different things out and, and but but we thought it'd be interesting to to have this this process of him him kind of almost going a little bit too far and then and then having the confidence to sit back in herself and and and, and become sort of more centered and more contained I mean, when you started out this film, I mean, looking at it, I mean, it's so full of challenge. When you started it, what do you, did you think would be the most challenging thing for you? Um, it's interesting because because it was a film. I mean, Gail Mutrix, my wonderful producer, uh, optioned the novel in 2000. So for her, it's been a 15-year journey to get this to the screen. For me, I'm a newbie uh, with a seven-year journey. Um, and, you know, she, she encountered lots of... Uh, obstacles in terms of people not wanting to finance it people not wanting to, you know directors before me backing off directing it um and, and 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 i think it reflects a kind of i suppose a prejudice in the culture that people just felt this this is this is a story that's you know it is not going to be embraced um by the public and and i hope the world's now um moved on but but I, but I, but even people close to me were sort of feeling that it was possibly too risky a film for me to do and uh, whereas i just felt after after the King's Speech and Les Miserables, when I was lucky to have th those two films doing well, I, I had a kind of moment in time when I could get a passion project financed. And, you know, if I'd done a commercial film at that point, that wouldn't have been a difficult choice because people would have been you know, keen for me to do it. But I, but I wanted to use this moment to to get a film that was less obvious uh, made. But, 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 but I think I think my fear was that, that you wouldn't... Um, the, 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 my fear would be that you don't you you wouldn't relate to Lily at every step, and and that somehow it it would remain a, a, it would remain strange and mysterious and other and and sort of over there and kind of very curious you know an object you know she could be a subject of great curiosity but I didn't want to make that film I wanted to make a film that felt very connected and more than that I wanted to I wanted you the audience to to sort of feel the more universal themes because I suppose to me, I mean, to me, you know, weirdly the two films, The, the King's Speech and The Danish Girl, which I both fell in love with at this, in around the same time, sh share, a th share a kind of common ground, which is, you know, all of us have blocks between us and the best version of ourselves or the true version of ourselves, whether it's shyness or insecurity, whether it's, you know, anxiety, addiction, depression, whether it's stammering like in The King's Speech, but to not identify with the gender you're assigned at birth I mean, I don't think a human being can experience a more profound block between them and their and, and their true identity, and, it, and it's a cause of such profound distress. Um, 
but you know, like in the King's Speech, when there's that sort of loving friendship of Lionel Logue and the loving love of the wife, the, 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 what really interested me is in the 1920s, at a time where you know the word transgender didn't exist, when there was no roadmap for change, whether the when the medical establishment absolutely did not accept this and pathologized it as an illness. The, the, the space that might allow this transformation to, to, to happen, I, I think, was created through love. Because I, I feel like if you are blocked as a person in any way, in any, even a small way, if you have the luck to be truly loved in your life or truly seen, then change can be possible. So you dealt with that challenge, as it were. Were there any things that happened during the course of making the film which were challenges that you hadn't anticipated? Um, I think possibly... Uh, you know, we we had an early, very inspiring meeting through Eddie with Lana Wachowski, um, and Lana, because Eddie had worked with Lana on Jupiter Ascending, and and you know she was amazing. She spent a couple of hours with me and Eddie, and gave us a reading list, and but but also talked about you know some of the potential pitfalls of making the film, and 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 one was this idea that uh, y y y the audience might come away and just just think be, being transgender is just a tragic condition and 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 we had to you know and she sort of made she made the rather interesting point she said you don't you don't take the king's speech point you know through to bertie dying of lung cancer you you kind of end it in a good place and um i i i felt with this that because the death was direct result of the operations it was part of the story but 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 i felt very strongly and eddie felt strongly that we had to show the joy of the process and not just the not mm -hmm. just the tragedy of it and and um I think Eddie was very concerned about that, and I think possibly when we, f there was a point when I was you know, looking at the edit coming together where 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 I think we were sort of going after the the joy of it to 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 to, to, to almost too much, and and we were and we weren't in contact with the with the anxiety and the stakes and the pickup that we I talked about, which we did towards the end, was was an example of you know trying to get that balance right, but it, but it, but in essence, directing it was about the balancing of. The, the balancing of pain and joy. I mean, a really good example is the scene where Lily puts the stockings on and then uh, when she's Einar and then holds the dress against herself. And, um, you know, if, if it, it, that, that there, Eddie, you know, directing Eddie was all about trying to get both so that on the, on the one hand, Lily was kind of making contact with this extraordinary possibility of happiness that she'd never experienced you know which is her true identity but on the other hand the implications in the present of this discovery were going to clearly you know have have caused tremendous pain both to to her and the marriage and 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 that even flowed into the score with Alexandra Desplat who did you know who's wonderful to work with and he, and he struggled for a while because because initially he went too dark and then it was like well what are we saying is the music saying that you know, making contact with with your true identity is is this sort of is this dark, troubling sequel? That's not right. Then he went to then he went into the kind of beautiful place, and it felt somehow patronising or condescending. And 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 for him, it was about the same thing of trying of trying to hold uh, both. Um, and I think that was probably it. Took me time to realise that that was my main challenge. Hmm. So you talk about this crew <coughs> that you have, Danny, you have, and. Eve Stewart and Melanie Oliver. How does it work? Do they wait for you to have a film, or do you wait for them to be free? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 this film has a lot of is the product of a lot of long-term collaborations. Danny Cohen. This is the fifth film we've done together. Eve Stewart. It's the fifth film. Um, 
uh, Paco Delgado, the costume designer, we, we worked on Les Mis um, together and I discovered him there. Uh, I mean, what's, what, what I love about long-term collaborations is you're, is you're kind of picking up a conversation where you left off um, creatively and, and there's a shorthand of you, you, you kind of know if you're trying to push yourself to do something different before, as that person was there when you did the thing before, it's easier to not repeat yourself because they're very aware of what you but did last time. How do you time. make it work? I mean, um, how, how do all your schedules suddenly coalesce into this? Um, partly because, they're p p I mean, you know, Ben Howarth, my first, uh, at one point the film was pushed back five months and he waited five months oh. and, and didn't take a film so he could do it with me. And, and so partly they, they, they've been amazing at um, creating space and waiting. Uh, but I think Danny, Danny, you know, the cinematographer did a particularly um, amazing job because I, I sort of wanted, uh, I, I was very inspired by the paintings of Hammershoy, who was, a, who was a Danish artist a tiny bit before the time of Gerda and Einar. And Hammershoy um, does these extraordinary kind of paintings, mainly of his own of figures in his own apartment, and it's all painted in this sort of incredibly austere palette of blues and greys, and and it's about figures in 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 these spaces and the perspectives of corridors, and there's a great sense of sort of loneliness and, uh, and 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 isolation in a beautiful way, and the light is super soft. I mean, the most extraordinary ethereal light, and and of course that's also Scandinavian. The northern light is you know particularly in the in in the long summers has this softness, and and so I charged. Danny with this idea of lighting in that way and, and Eve Stewart um, came up with the idea of building a set for them that, that reflected that tone because I wanted I wanted I, I wanted Lilia's Einar yes you know she's in a happy marriage but I wanted there to be something in the in this physical surroundings that was somehow muted or constrained or, or and, and the austerity of the Danish color scheme spoke to that and then um, in, in fact Lana Wachowski gave us the idea for the Paris section where she said to me, wouldn't it be amazing if when you went to Paris, you, you used the Art Nouveau as the backdrop because the Art Nouveau was all about the rejection of the masculine in design, of the straight line, of the rectilinear, the embracing of the feminine and, and, and the floral and explosions of color. And, 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 and so, you know, so we set the emergence of Lily against this backdrop in the revolution of, of visual arts in, in, in the 20th century, which was really all, which was all about the upsurge of the feminine. Um, and, and Eve Stewart, you know, then said, well, you know, the best place to do that is, um, is, is, is Brussels because it actually has better art nouveau architecture than Paris. So we went to Brussels rather than Paris. Um, but you know, where she's smart, I mean like going back to how do we do it on the budget, I mean Eve Eve is a great pragmatist and she said, you know, we've we we can only build a little bit. We built the two apartments. Um, and you know unless you walk into a location which is which is exact you know which is extraordinary on camera straight away, we'll never have the money to create these places. So you have to, it's better to go to the city that has them mm -hmm. than scrabble around trying to build sets or trying to do it in London when it's not gonna look right. And also, um uh, you know, she's she, she's extraordinary. I mean, the, the Paris apartment was a was a was a was a build. Um she bought the Paris apartment, I kid you not, on eBay. <laughs> I mean, uh, in that she bought a set, of the, the set of flats that was made, that, that was stuck in some, like, farm covered in chicken shit. Um, and she bought it for practically nothing. And, and the rest of her team were like, if I typed in, you know, Paris apartment for sale on eBay, nothing, you know, that doesn't come up. But for Eve Stewart, it comes up. And anyway, so, so they were very, you know, she's incredibly inventive at doing stuff for a budget. In my research for this little event, I did come across one shocking fact. <clears throat> On Wikipedia it said the running time was 2 hours 52 minutes. 
Oh my now, God. Was that just a clerical error, or did you have more material than you felt um, you needed? No, that's a slightly alarming clerical error. Yeah. Thank, thank you for <laughs> bringing that to my attention. <laughs> but did you have time problems with it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was uh, the first cut was was uh, was close to three hours, um, uh, but you know, it, it came down pretty easily. It wasn't. I mean, Les Mis was a lot harder to, to tame, but this came down because because in the end. Um, you know the the, the the essential story is is relatively simple, and 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 so we could kind of home in on that quite fast in the cutting room. Mm. Well, it's a, t a terrific job. As a, I mean, can you judge it now? Do you look at it and think, how did I get through this, or is this what I wanted? Or um, I don't know. I always find the, the funny thing about when you when I watch films, even years later, is I'm always right back with the last process that I did. So I tend to be back thinking about the mix and the grade, all right. the special effects, because that was the last thing I, I touched. Did you have a lot of visual effects on it? Um, five shots, I think. That's amazing. Are you telling me the truth? Yeah, I mean, five in terms of proper, right. proper, not, right. I mean, little, little pulling out a satellite dish, obviously, that, that, that yeah. there's more of those. But during this early period, You'd read the book, and was it, it was with other directors after you'd read it? I mean, did you know about it, and you knew it was out in the marketplace? Um, no, I mean, Gail was, Gail, Gail wanted me to do it, and was incredibly patient. And I, and I said to her, you know, look, Gail, I'm going off and doing this like this tiny movie called The King's Speech. You know, I, I, I don't know if you know anyone's going to see it. I'm sure it's not going to get in the way of us, um, you know, doing this film, you know, very soon. And and then, and then she had to sort of suffer the stress of, of knowing that I probably was getting off at the odd other thing alongside the Danish girl. But but she was, you know, she was amazing in her, in her pa and her passion also was very powerful for me um, um, uh, because it because it you know when 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 someone believes in material so much, it also affects you. We've got a couple of minutes. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have done? Um, I mean, may, maybe about some of the supporting cast. Um, yeah, it was brilliantly cast. Uh, Nina knows what she's up yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, Matthias Schoenarts, I thought, was, um, um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> when did he come into well, the Well, I mean, yeah, I mean it, was, it was funny because, I mean, I, uh, the day I cast Alicia, or offered her the part, I was in, I was in a... Um, a kind of we we went for a drink in the firehouse in London and and, and Matthias Schoenarts was there and Alicia was like oh Matthias and you know they they you know they're, they're old friends and I looked at them as a couple and I thought God wouldn't that be amazing if he played Hans just not but not even not even beginning to think for a moment he'd ever say yes so I didn't even kind of act on this and then about you know literally about three months later I said to Nina you know, do you think he might say yes? And she said, no, no, he'll never say yes. And, and, and I said, well, should we just offer it to him anyway? And she said, well, I think you're wasting your time. And I said, well, you know, and, and, and so we did. And he said yes. And uh, um, uh, but, but he's got a kind of incredible, what I loved about Matthias is there's nothing, um, he's totally non-competitive when he acts. What, what I mean is there's some, there some actors you feel at some level they're going, you're doing that, well, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna right. to raise you. <laughs> and and, and he, he's so kind of confident in himself that he's, utter, he's able to be utterly still and let the other person be the focus. And I, and I know Eddie said that he, you know, he really enjoyed um, acting with Matthias. Um, and, and then there was Sebastian Koch, who, if you remember the film Lives of Others, played, played the Doctor, and he's you know, one of the, the great German actors. And um, uh, you know, it, was, it was fun getting you know, this, this, 
and Ben Whishaw playing Henrik, so I thought also he's one of my favourite favourite actors. And then the nicest thing is, you know, I don't know as a as a director, you kind of you, there are these actors you want, you know, you for years think, oh, I'd love to work with, and it was great to getting you know three of them mm. alongside Eddie and Lister in this. Well, the gods were with you. Thank you. Well, congratulations, and just a tip. <clears throat> I think you better get your dinner jacket out and brush it off. Anyway, Thank you. Good luck with all that, and I hope the film does very well for Thanks, you. Thanks, Michael. Brilliant job. We hope you enjoyed listening. You can watch a video of this and many other director Q&As on our YouTube channel or on our website at dga.org slash events. Also on our website, you can explore our visual history program with long-form oral history interviews that delve deep into the careers of veteran DGA members. The interviews are searchable by keywords and topics and presented with selected highlights. The moderator from this episode, Michael Apted, is the subject of our most recent interview where he discusses his revolutionary documentary series, 7up, and directing feature films like Gorillas in the Mist, Coal Miner's Daughter, and the James Bond installment, The World Is Not Enough. Check out the program at dga.org slash craft slash visual history. If you're enjoying the director's cut, please subscribe to it on iTunes or our SoundCloud page so you won't miss an episode. And leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. We hope you hear from us soon. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.